Welcome to Translation Confidential. This is Peter Argandizo and Patrick Daly. Thank you for joining us for episode 113. What is LangOps and why should a customer care? Patrick, I think the best place to start is is what is the textbook definition of LangOps? What the hell is that? <laughs> yeah, um, LangOps, which is short for language operations, I hope, um, is um, what you would think it was. And we asked our good friend ChatGPT for a definition today. So that's where we're getting uh, a lot of our, our nuggets of information here. Um, but it's the practices and methodologies for managing and operating language technologies which is exactly what I would expect when you ask what is LangOps. <laughs> um, it compares it to you know, DevOps or data ops. Um, and those are obviously in the software development and data management fields. Um, so it involves strategies, tools, processes that teams use to implement, manage, and optimize the deployment of NLP, they're calling it, which is natural language processing. Um, if you're kind of confused... I am too, because um, it doesn't, I feel like ChatGPT doesn't give the best definition. So Peter, I'd like to hear in your own words what, what you think LangOps is. Yeah. I mean, you know, basically to me, it's taking, you know, sound business practices and finding the intersection of where people and technology meet and deploying it for clients for mutual benefit. I mean, that's really what it is. The scary thing to me about this, Patrick, is that this seems super analogous to the translation memory discussion 20 years ago. And, you know, back then people were deploying this, language service providers were deploying it for their own benefit. In other words, they weren't necessarily talking to clients about it and using it as an expansion of gross margin. And I see that risk again here. And I think this is why it's so important to talk about it. And, you know, here it goes. Like this next section is an editorial. It reflects my own opinion. And it may sound coarse or harsh because I'm actually going after some of my colleagues in the industry. But where the hell have you all been? Like LangOps is new. This is something that's new. This, it actually seems ridiculous to me. I can tell you that overall, our industry lags in embracing technology. I mean, many of our users, whether it's agencies, freelancers, they're afraid of tech. It's nothing new. And 1995, as I briefly mentioned, when we got started, Trados won. And yes, it was on DOS. Many people probably in this crowd may not know what DOS is. Pre-Windows, it was a it was a, a operating system, right? It was the, I've played computer games on DOS. Okay, Patrick, I'm glad to hear that. You know, that means you're a little bit older than the usual folks that I talk to, right? So it was released on DOS, and most translators were like, this is the end. I'm done. Translation industry's over. Human translator, gone. That wasn't the case. The industry actually exploded. It was the advent of the European Union. Uh, more projects were coming in. The markets were getting bigger. Translation became more affordable. That's really what happened. Updates and similar content were now reused at scale. That's what translation memory did. It said, hey, if you translate something, this database is going to remember it and allow you to reuse it moving forward. So, hey, consistency goes up, quality goes up, costs go down, translator output went up. So some of those translators that 
thought it was the end of the world, came back and said, Hey, this is, this has been amazing for me. Yeah. I think that that's the huge part, right? It's like your, your output can go up through the roof if you're using and leveraging technology the right way. Absolutely. And, and, and this is why I'm saying, where the hell have y'all been? Because back in 2007, in my mind, we started using LangOps. As an organization, we went to NetSuite. That was our ERP system. And what we did is we said, hey, we do a lot of activities for our clients that don't add value. One of them being putting together a compliance report. I said, oh my gosh, this takes like an hour or two to put in all the vendor codes and put in their qualifications. And so we're doing these reports manually. I'm like, this sucks. We need to stop this. So we meet, who is now our CTO, we meet Mark and say, hey, we got this problem. We have to do these reports for our clients. It's part of their standard operating procedure. How can we automate this? Yes, the system can automate that. Your, your, the information of who you're using for translation and what their bios are is in the system already. Why not just deploy it into a report automatically and make it available for clients? LangOps, intersection of technology and people and making something easier. So guess what? Now project management time goes down. That's for the benefit of our clients. And yeah, that was 2007 and we were a tiny company. LangOps is not specific to large companies. In fact, I think this is an opportunity now with where technology is that small companies can be more nimble and can do more things than larger companies. So I have a favor to ask my colleagues. Please stop trying to make it seem that sound business practices, because that's what these are, sound business practices are black magic sprinkled with fairy dust and a few spells from Harry Potter added on top of it. I mean, it sometimes feel like we're fighting a wave of BS because that's essentially what we're talking about. People try to make business process seem like it's mysticism while we try to demystify the process. I mean, what we do, Patrick, you know, you were here. I think, you know, for us, client education is huge. We want to arm them. That's why we're incredibly transparent. We want to arm them with the knowledge so that they can compare apples to apples. And I see this is the danger. This is where this technology can be used for ill and not for mutual gain. Yeah, I've seen a, a lot of recent articles coming up um, throughout the news, too, of kind of people are worried that AI is going to destroy the internet with how much garbage content is being output from it. Um, I know you talk, we've talked before about the study where they took um, the AI engine and kind of opened it up to a section of the internet, and then they realized it got dumber by reading all of that content. Um, so again, like, I think it's a very real concern of just there being just a, a for lack of a better term, like a, a wave of kind of garbage that's being thrown out there and seeing what sticks. Oh, I agree a hundred percent, Patrick. And, you know, I, I get people's concerns. Like I get, you know, and I'm not trying to minimize translators concerns, but what I'm saying is we should always use history as our guide. We've been here before. This is just, it's, you know, what's old is new. And again, I think now than ever, like understanding as a buyer, understanding what you're buying and how you're buying it is key. I think, you know, we have to help our, our clients to simplify the complex nature of translation and communications. Pretty much it. I mean, the, the spirit, I think, of LangOps is virtuous. I mean, 
here's the idea, right? Let's help customers to make translation an afterthought. Let's make it easy. Simplify the collection of the content. Use AI and any other advanced tools where applicable and appropriate, where the clients understand the risks. You know, provide the appropriate level of translation or language-related services, because it can be in the narration world, captioning, it can be anything, right? Um, and just reintroduce the translated content and make the billing process super simple, right? Sounds like suspiciously like sound business practice. Yeah, and as as someone who um, I've been lucky enough to now move to the, the buying side of, of translation as opposed to the production side, I feel like as a buyer, my thought is, okay, that's great that you do that but what benefit do I get and why do I get more for my money if I go this route other as opposed to not using them? Like what's the benefit and why am I paying more or less for this? You nailed it, Patrick. I mean, you know, really the, the most important part of this whole thing is making the client aware of, you know, where, where are the points in the process where AI is involved and what are the risks associated with it? Transparency is king here. And, and, in a lot of cases, completely lacking. That's going to be our biggest challenge as an agency who wants to provide transparency is that we now have to compete against the agencies like, ah, this translation stuff's easy. You just fire up DeepL and chuck it in there and add a little QA and uh, the fairy dust, if you will, on top of it, automated QA through ChatGPT or other tools. I give it to the client. I'm just a pass-through. Sounds like envelope switching. A lot of agencies used to be envelope switchers with human talent. Now they'll do it with machine talent. And, you know, I, I, I just, again, I just think the most important part of this whole piece is finding that intersection of people, tech, and process and deploying it for mutual benefit, not individual benefit. Anytime in a transaction when one party is too, has too many advantages over the other, someone loses. And I think there's going to be a lot of agencies that deploy this, these strategies for their own benefit, and we can already see it. We can already see it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think back to your example of when translation memory started percolating into the market of, you know, you have all those things that are rising, whether it's, you know, costs go down, output goes up. Um, but again, that can be mutually beneficial of, you know, your cost can go down, but we can do more volume for you now or whatever the solution might be. But that's that's a win for both sides of the equation, right? You've got the Absolutely. LSP getting more projects, more money, and you've got the the client having more output and more content translated. So like again, yeah. we're not yeah. we're not trying to bash this whole th- uh, the whole Lang ops um you know sector as bad. Like again, you said there's there's ways it can work in a very, very powerful way for both sides of the equation. Hundred percent. I mean, I'm a firm believer in Lang Ops. I just think, I just think putting a name on it and you know making it like it's some sort of dark art is ridiculous. I mean, right? it's, it's, it's like AI, right? Like we've had machine translation. I think we talked about on one episode since, in some form or fashion, since the 1950s, and everyone's like, "Ooh, AI translation. What can we do about it?" And it's like it's it's been around in some way or another. It's just, yeah. I mean it it's interesting to me as working for a marketing firm now that like it, it seems like good marketing that they're kind of like owning some white space in the market. They've gave it a, a good name. Um, but yeah, it's like, okay, what does this actually mean for me? Absolutely. And you know, our, our, our big thing, Patrick, you know, having been here is uh, longevity with our clients. And I think that comes from trust. 
And I think you're going to see a lot of LSPs that are going to want to win the moment and, you know, not the longer, not the longer war. They want to win the battle and not the war. And it's, it's, that's my problem is the lack of transparency, the mysticism, how people are going to use this, not for mutual benefit, but for individual benefit. And that's really the point of my rant, right? So thank you for indulging me in my rant, but it's caveat emptor. The translation buyer needs to be aware. And that's always going to be the trick, right? We're going to speak to procurement people and we're going to try to sell them that, hey, the magic is having the ability to move up and down the line, to be able to deploy something that's low risk, low value. Hey, let's use more AI. Let's turn the dial up on AI, turn the dial down on human intervention. You still need human intervention, but you just need less of it. And when it's high value, high risk, you turn the AI volume way down, turn the people volume way up. Simple. I'm thinking of the thing that just popped into my head is like, it's like someone's Madden stats, right? If you could max up their speed, but what else do you lose in that one? Their overall stays the same, right? Like you've got all of these factors going into one overall output. And it's again, which one do you want high? Which one do you want low? Which one's in the middle? And it all kind of averages out to that overall output. Yeah, it's the classic Venn diagram, right? It's the classic, you know, concentric circles with the uh the we've all seen quality, cost, and time. Pick two, not three, right? I mean Is it the translation pyramid I've seen it called? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean it's like anything in life. Like you can't have everything. It's just not not, not possible. Um but I mean, let's dig a little bit deeper, Patrick. And I mean what so we've railed on this a little bit. So I mean let's talk a little bit about the benefits of the cost to the customer. I mean, I, I think this is why they should care. Right. I think like, what are some of the cool things that are out there? I mean, there's QA, there are these great QA tools that you can add to the end of any process and look for spelling grammar. We probably, I don't know how many users out there are grammarly users. I love grammarly. It's awesome. It's like, Hey, do you want me to make this sentence better? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, great. Great suggestion. Awesome. But, I'm there as the approver, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, great. Thank you. Save me some time. It's better. It's cleaner. Nice. Thank you. Um, translation memory on steroids, right? I mean, what else, Patrick? But yeah, what I mean, we talked about uh, pre-show a little bit about the risks, too. Like, if you do kind of that automated workflow, and even if you are the approver, I mean, you can run into fatigue of someone just jamming enter on their keyboard and being like, yep, great, looks fine, looks fine, looks fine, looks fine. And they just kind of breeze through it as opposed to giving it as much a care as and attention as if they were starting from scratch. So that's kind of a great point, Patrick, that, that, that risk is really important, right? Anything that looks too simple. I mean, to someone who let's say doesn't have language. So exact example, Patrick, you have a language background. So you studied languages, you understand the complexity. Now take that out, you know, pretend you're a manager of a website. Uh, It's, 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 you're the product owner and someone shows you this tag, like with, Hey, with three clicks, I can add this connector. It connects to a tool called DeepL, whatever Azure translation you've built. And like 30 seconds later, our whole website's translated. Yeah, that's awesome power. However, remember, people are going to judge us on our mistakes. So even if 90% of that website is correct or reasonably correct, because that's probably a better indication. But then in that 10% are some super egregious errors. I saw... uh, you know, obviously we're a translation agency and we like to make fun of poor translation. So someone posted a meme yesterday and it was like, I'm Taylor Swift's biggest fan or something. And they used the word uh, ventilator, I think, 
you know, which is a fan, <laughs> like literally an electric fan. Like a fan that with the, blades on it. <laughs> yeah. That was the translation. And it's like, yes. I mean, it can be incredibly literal. That's, I mean, it's up, it's crazy, right? One of my favorite ones, I've seen it from English to Spanish, was uh, it said made in Turkey on the package. Um, and instead of the word oh, for no. a country, like the country of Turkey, they use the word for Turkey, the animal, um, which depending on the food, I don't know if it was a food product. I don't remember, but I hope it wasn't made inside of a Turkey. Yeah. I mean, right. And the thing is, is like the rest of the translation could have been fine, but that one little error and immediately people are going to throw out your product. They're not going to see your, they're not going to think you're serious. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so, I mean, the other thing is access, right? I, I, I mean, good and bad, right? Because LangOps is saying that, hey, I can take a, a document, a piece of content, piece of audio, whatever it is, and I can feed it all the way down a workflow without much intervention. And I'm using this QA service in the cloud. I'm pulling the translation from Azure, DeepL, you name it. I'm then feeding it into a translation memory system where a human editor is going to review it. Then it's going out to the client reviewer. How many hands is that passing through and what are the security checkpoints, right? Positive, negative, positive, it's seamless, negative, holy hell, where's my data going, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm thinking back to even um, our our website workflow and I was very much of the mind of like, we need to have some of those stop gaps and those checkpoints. We like, we could turn the automation on full speed for website translation and fully mm-hmm. round trip it. But again, like that's, not going to yield the best output and like we're going to look bad if we do that and that that said i mean we've communicated to clients hey again you can go up or down the automation um you know workflow wherever you want it it's we'll let you know where it's possible but we're also going to lead with what we recommend and what's what we think is best for both us and you as a client absolutely patrick i mean it makes the most sense and i think one of the things that I have a huge problem with is, and I think we talked about it a little bit in our last podcast is, you know, AI for AI sake, just replace LangOps for LangOps sake. Um, it's really just using technology because it sounds sexy. And I would challenge, you know, all of our colleagues and even people in other industries that when they're looking at these tech solutions, start with a problem and work from there. Don't start with the solution and work backwards. You know, this this was my father-in-law that imposed this one on me a long time ago when we were starting to add systems. He said, you never want to tell a client the system doesn't allow us to do that. And if you start from the system and work backwards towards the problem, you miss the boat entirely. It's technology for technology's sake. Instead of saying, you know, my favorite question with clients is what else? We're doing a scoping discussion, um, and, and I think of the SharePoint integration that was created last. Well, it was actually the year before last. It's been around a bit, but we're we're on a few different iterations. So we've taken that base set of uh, code, that application, and now we're working uh, on uh, additional implementations and some of the things that came up. We had another client has multiple languages, but they don't want to apply all the languages to every page uniformly makes sense. So you need a language selector. Our first draft was client had one language. We didn't even ask what language. We just hard-coded it. That made sense for them. Now this client, embracing LangOps in the right way, is saying, hey, you know what? 
we do some low value client, uh, low value content. You know, this is an internal knowledge base and news source for our client, our, our employees. It's not customer facing. We do kind of some low value stuff. Can we turn the dial back on, on, like we said, live up and down that continuum? Now we can do it. I mean, that's awesome. That's an example of starting with the problem and working towards a solution. I think that's kind of key. Um, same with the Akinio client, right? The Akinio uh, PIM integration that we came up with. We started with the set of the problems and moved backwards. You know, my earlier example about, gosh, that was GE Medical that put that RCP report together for the compliance report. Um, and now it's a solution we use every day on every job. Starting with the problem and working back towards solution, never technology for technology's sake. Yeah, I think what that also shows is that you're willing to listen uh, to clients and not just pitch whatever you want to pitch uh, as your best service or best solution. You're actually willing to listen, digest that and say, okay, after, you know, we've worked, we've talked together, we've collaborated, here's what we think is the best solution for you in this scenario. Um, I know that even comes up too with, with some of our clients who would do, we work with different divisions. They have different setups and different levels of service and different workflows, depending on who the client requester is or what department they're coming from. You know, if we've got, something from HR versus something from marketing versus something from engineering that could look like three very different workflows all for the same client. Absolutely, Patrick. The, the, the key, I mean, you know, you know, my least, you know, I, I said what my favorite question was, what else? My least favorite question from a client is, um, hey, I don't really have time for like a scoping discussion. Can you just send me a slide deck? I just kind of want to see what your application does. Our application is flexible. It does whatever you need it to do. Let's talk about it. What do you need? Mm -hmm. And if, if there's something in that set of problems you have that we can't solve, let's figure out how do we mitigate it? I, I just, eh, I think it's key, but I mean, I think it's a good spot to think about, well, all right. So you're a translation buyer out there, Patrick. I mean, I don't know. What should they do? I think we we've, we've said, Hey, be careful out there. Caveat emptor. What should they do? Yeah, I think, um, we've talked about this at length on, on other episodes too, but making sure you're comparing the same service or solution to the same service of solution across different providers. Um, I think that one's super important. Um, I think when you're going through either these discovery uh, or scoping or RFP processes, um, I think asking the same questions and asking the same thing of all of your prospective vendors um is a good place to start just to see how it is to work with them. Basically sit, run the same playbook with all of them and, and see what comes back. Um, and then if you, you get some good nuggets from anything that does come back in any of those, those discussions, I think it's fair to bring those to the other providers and be like, Hey, what's this about? Why didn't you tell me about this? What, what is, tell me your response to this kind of question. Yeah, that's, that's right on target, Patrick. I mean, that's perfect. If, if, Clients do that. That's how they'll protect themselves in this case. It's all that transparency that we talked about, right? And I think it's interesting too is, again, let's talk about the positive. What are some cool things that can be done using AI? And one of my favorite ones that we're working on right now is leveraging Google Analytics. Like This is what I love about good business procedures. All right, fine. LangOps. I'll use it. What I like about it is that you can marry information from different systems, right? So, um, 
know, we're working with the folks from Blackbird, which I call Zapier on steroids for translation solutions. Um, we're going to deploy this for client benefits. We're in full testing. We expect that before the end of the first quarter, we'll have some solutions deployed. And yeah, this is where we take our translation acumen, 29 years of industry experience, talk about clients' problems, say, what would be what would be some cool things? Well, we work with a few big web developers. And, you know, lately what we see is there's a lot of clients that have a need to translate, don't necessarily have the budget, they don't have enough funding, and they have a lot of content. Can give an example, a few local park districts, huge pay, huge websites, don't have any money. Well, okay. Um, or even manufacturers, hey, we want to go into a given, we want to go into Europe. We don't even really know what countries we're going to resonate in. We're not 100% sure. We've got some distributors. What can we do? Well, with a, with, you know, with a, uh, with a site that's based here in the U.S., it's a little bit harder because you can't use country differentiation and analytics. But when you're trying to, uh, trying to go into markets outside of the United States, you can use analytics, put your site out there, and say, hey, where do we get, what countries do we get hits from? You can use geography to, say, to, to inform what you do. I don't know. Seems like we're super popular popular in Italy. Well, hey, let's translate a set of pages, see if we get traction, and put it in a workflow. So you can use analytics, put it in a workflow, and say, hey, anytime any of our pages gets more than 10 hits, I don't know, pick the number, whatever trigger that is, machine translate it. See if it gets more hits, and then have it human-reviewed. You can automate all that. Yeah, and I think, I mean, again, you talked about a pretty a fully automated workflow, but you can say once you get X amount of views, trigger it for human translation. Absolutely. So again, you can it's, send it's scaling it, yeah. up and down however you need to or want to. It, it's the flexibility. So if I'm a customer, that's the problem I would pose. I would not go with, hey, I need my whole website translated um, and pretend that you have budget for the whole thing. Because if you don't, you don't, right? I mean, have an honest... Have we ever talked about communication <laughs> on this podcast? I think we have. Maybe once or we, twice. Yeah, maybe once or twice. Just communicate with the language service provider, but make sure you tell each provider the same thing. Here's my set of problems. I have a fixed budget. You don't have to share that budget. You say, I have a fixed budget. I'm not sure what to do. Well, a good language service provider will hope you hopefully give you some ideas. Hey, we'll quote the whole thing. That up, sets up scenario A. Scenario B, which we've been preaching for years, but not necessarily had the tech to do it in an automated fashion, right? Patrick, how many times have you and I did mm -hmm. so many website calls together? How many times have we told clients, hey, use analytics as your friend, see where you're getting traffic, dip your toe in the water, don't translate the whole site, because once you do that, it's a sunk cost. I mean, these are all, this is all good business advice, right? Again, sounds like sound business practices. But um, I think that's a good one. Uh, seamlessly adding QA to a workflow. That's pretty cool. There's a lot of really good QA engines out there. So why not add QA to the workflow? That seems like a cool idea. Um, another one is text extraction, extraction and glossary workflow. We had the Gabby T guys on last year, uh, uh, Brian and uh, Angelo. And we talked about how you can deploy a set of prompts to look at a, a body of content and extract the terminology that occurs the most often, uh, grab definitions, translate it, and then put it into a human review cycle. And you now have a glossary. How awesome is that? 
Yeah, I mean that that saves the time, right? Because let's let's go back to the Stone Age way of creating a glossary. Is you open up Excel, type all of your terms in the left hand column, type all of the translated ones in the right hand column. You could put definitions and stuff in context in there as well, but if you can kind of train the engine to do all of that for you, that saves how much time per project that you have to uh, generate that glossary. Huge. I mean, that's. You know, we're by the way, we're working on all these workflows and trying to add them as standard practice to all of our our workflows for clients. It makes a lot of sense creating glossaries every job, doing QA, an automatic QA pass at the end. We do QA now. We certainly do it. It's it's, but this is even better. Bigger QA engines with more information. That's a great thing. It's a good thing for clients. Good thing for our translators and our vendors, and um, even consolidated building. Like you know, one of the things that we're doing now is using technology to glom together a lot of information, take all the projects that we did for the month, stick them into one bill, give people the ability to see exactly which segments were translated every day. You know, that's attached to any of our standard CMS connect platform uh, connectors. That's you, you get that it's one bill, not 30 bills. We're going to execute perhaps daily or multiple times per day and giving people that information, having that, handy for them is an incredibly powerful tool. Yeah. And I think, I mean, that brings up for me, I know one of the things we also talk about quite a bit is if you get a quote or an invoice, that's just one number, uh, that's probably an issue and something that should, should throw up a red flag for you. So I think, especially when it comes to billing, like insist on the details, um, whether it links out to the project quote, uh, that you approved or whatever it is of like having that full circle of, you know, you sent this many jobs on this day, this is the cost for them. Um, having that transparency is huge. Yeah, right. I mean, it's been a big thing that we've railed against for years, right, Patrick, is, you know, you've got a 10 language project and your project proposal is three sentences um, with a number at the end of it. Run, run, just run as fast as you can. Demand the transparency. I want to see what my cost is per language. Tell me a little bit about the process. And if they just say it's translation, Run as fast as you can. You need to dig down. Is it human translation? What are the steps? How are you doing QA? Is it human or is it AI? Understand the sausage making. As a buyer, you deserve that information. It has to be. And and think, I would say even too, like think of think of the time savings you at the buyer get if the translation agency is proactive in giving you that information versus you having to ask for it. If they already give it to you, <laughs> exactly. how much time do you save versus asking you know, those five follow-up questions to every time you're getting a, a quote out your way? Absolutely. And put it into your quote requirements. That way people, you'll probably eliminate people out of the, right, you know, right off the bat. That way you're looking at providers that are actually going to do what you expect. They're going to meet your expectations. Well, Patrick, we're at that time. So we talked about a lot of stuff today. What is what is your big biggest takeaway besides the fact that I may not have had breakfast and a little bit hangry right now? <laughs> I think um, it's just um, like we talk about client education is huge, and then as a buyer to really to really understand what you're buying and and what it does for you. Um, I use this transportation analogy all the time, but uh, I mean if you say. I want to buy something with four wheels that could be a skateboard. It could be um, an ATV. It could be a car. It could be an airplane. And just saying like, I want a thing with four wheels can mean so many different things to so many different people. So 
just understand what you need, what problem it's solving, and what you're going to get as a result of what you're buying. I love that, Patrick. Um, for me, the biggest takeaway is beware of mysticism and translation. If it sounds too mystic, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. If someone tells you that you can translate a website with complete 100% integrity, you know, in a day, um, question it, run, run as fast as you can. Uh, make sure you're getting the information. It's really important. Make sure you understand what you're buying. That caveat emptor, uh, we'll thank our uh, our Latin friends for that one. This caveat is, uh, you're, you're prompting some of my... Uh... My studying for the PMP that I took last year of identifying risks is one of the biggest things um, in any scenario. I think it's always fair to ask those questions of, oh, what about this? What about that? What about this? Just to really try and poke holes and see if, you know, they've thought through all of the risks and, and how they're mitigated if there are those risks. Absolutely. And if there's any hesitancy in answering, then you'll get your, your you'll, you'll understand that uh, there's something being hidden, right? So... Well, wonderful. Well, for this episode of Translation Confidential, thank you for joining me and Patrick, and we'll see you next time. Bye.